Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your spirit that saturates our world and fills our lives. We pray that we may experience the presence of that spirit now so that we may hear your word for us. Amen. So this summer, we are studying the book of Exodus, which is the story of Israel's liberation from oppression and the lasting effects of that oppression on a people who struggle to be truly free. So far in the story, we've been introduced to the king of Egypt, who oppresses and enslaves the Israelites, but a group of women resist with civil disobedience. Midwives and mothers refuse to follow unjust laws and save the life of a boy named Moses. Moses grows up as Egyptian royalty, but flees to the desert after killing a slave master. While in the desert, Moses notices a burning bush. He leaves his sheep to go investigate and meets God, who sends him to free the enslaved Israelites. But when he gets there, things do not go so great. The Pharaoh only worsens the oppressions of the people, but Pharaoh's oppression threatens all creation, and God responds with a series of plagues to show Pharaoh the chaos that his cruelty has unleashed. Finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites go, but right after they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind and chases after them with his army. And that brings us to our scripture today. Exodus 14, 10 through 30. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching toward them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never ever see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and split it in two so that the Israelites can go into the sea on dry ground. But me... I'll make the Egyptians stubborn so that they will go in after them, and I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots, and his cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. God's messenger, who had been in front of Israel's camp, moved and went behind them. The column of cloud moved from the front and took its place behind them. It stood between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp. The cloud remained there. And when darkness fell, it lit up the night. 
they didn't come near each other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turning the sea into dry land. The waters were split into two. The Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians chased them and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry. As the morning approached, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian camp from the column of lightning and cloud and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. The Lord jammed their chariot wheels so that they wouldn't turn easily. The Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving toward it, and the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry. Pharaoh's entire army that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them on the right hand and on their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians. The people were in awe of the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have loved preaching on Exodus this summer. And one of the reasons is because even though Exodus is an ancient story, it feels really relevant. Exodus portrays the struggle against systemic injustice with characters who face a lot of the same challenges, fears, and doubts that we face today. And I also love God's role in Exodus. God is introduced as a liberating God who works through normal people like midwives. And God encourages people to resist even as these oppressive systems try to silence and stop them. I mean, simply put, I just... I feel like I can relate to Exodus. But today, things get a little bit more complicated. When God shows up in this cloud of fire and liberates the people by turning a sea into dry land. Now, on one hand, it's great news that God saves the people. It shows us that God fights for justice but it also makes it a little bit harder to know how to apply this story in our lives. If God is the one doing all the work, does that mean we just sit back and wait for God to defeat racism? I mean, no, that, that's a terrible idea. But there are legit questions in the background of our story. What role does God play in, a li in our liberation? 
Is God more like Superman who saves the day? Or is God more like a midwife who's by our side, holding our hand, enabling us to believe that new life is possible? What role does God play in our liberation? It's a question that's been asked for as long as the story of Exodus has been told. And there aren't simple answers. In fact, the answer to that question has evolved just like the story itself. The story of Exodus developed over hundreds of years, and, and Moses is credited with, credited with writing the first five books of the Bible. But you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to poke a few holes in the theory that Moses wrote the story of his own death. And if you are a Hebrew scholar, you notice when you read it that Exodus was written by multiple people. The prevailing theory is that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were composed by about four sources over 400 years. And each of these sources were more like communities with different writing styles, different specialties, different emphasis. So the first community wrote down the basic story. Then a later community that was focused on the law added details and chapters on law. Then the priestly community added liturgy and so on. And, and sometimes it's easy to tell the difference between the sources. Like, like when we have five chapters of law right in the middle of some historical narrative, or what well, maybe the most famous example is Genesis 1 and 2, where we have two distinct creation accounts. Genesis chapter 1 feels like poetry because it was liturgy for worship written by the priestly source. And Genesis 2 feels like a story because it's written by the earliest source that introduces a powerful but human-like God. And so sometimes it's obvious, sort of like that. But usually the different sources blend into one narrative and they make a cohesive story and we can't really tell and you need to be really scholarly to figure it all out. But there are rare times where the different sources are, it's like they're having a conversation or maybe even a debate about how the story should be told. And that's what's happening in Exodus 14. Two sources are telling two different stories about what role God plays in the struggle for justice. Let's go ahead and start uh, with a visual of the chapter. In red, we have the earliest source that we call J. And in blue, we have a the priestly source that we call P. And you can see they're sort of blended together, alternating back and forth. But what's so cool about this particular chapter is that we can separate these sources and each one tells the same story of Israel's uh, deliverance with a different perspective on God's role in that deliverance. 
we're going to start with J. I'm going to do that. I'm going to separate them and tell both stories back to back. And we're going to start with J, which was the source that was written down about 95 BCE. And I'm going to summarize some parts of it just for brevity. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. The Lord moved a column of cloud in between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp. The Lord pushed back the sea with a strong wind. The waters were split in two, turning the sea into dry land. As morning approached, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian camp and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. The Lord jammed their chariot wheels so they couldn't turn easily. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. But before they get away, God throws the Egyptians into the sea and the story ends with the declaration that it was the Lord who rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day, so the people now believe in the Lord. And in this telling, God is doing all of the work of liberation. In verse 14, Moses tells the people, the Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. And that's what happens. The Israelites are bystanders to their own deliverance. But that's quite different than the additions that were made 400 years later. So I'm now going to tell that version. And the action picks up right after the people have cried out to God for help. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and split it in two so the Israelites can go into the sea on dry ground. God made the Egyptians stubborn, and then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians chased them, so the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots, and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand. The sea wiped out Pharaoh's army, but the water formed a wall around the Israelites who walked to safety. When we isolate this second priestly source, we find the Israelites crying out to God, and God responding, why do you cry to me? God then tells Moses to do something about it. In this account, Moses does all of the action on God's behalf. And so God's involved, but indirectly. God isn't physically present in a cloud like in the first story. Rather, God is working through Moses. And and it might seem a little bit weird that we have two stories that tell different perspectives. 
But when we look at when and why they were written, it makes a lot of sense. The first story is composed early on. It's, it's the uh, the J story, the J account, J source, and and this was written in about 950 BCE when when the people were getting to know who God was. So God is introduced as a God who hates oppression, a God who cares about us, and a God who will act on our behalf. But 400 years later, things were different. Everyone knew that God hated injustice. But what people needed to learn was how to follow this God, how to act. They needed to know that that we can't wait around for God to fix everything because God works through us. God relies on us to fight for justice. And I'll be honest, I kind of like the second story better, if I can say that. I mean, and that's, that's because I think it's the message I need to hear. Maybe the message we need to hear. Because the struggle for justice is all around us. And, and it is a mighty struggle. One that can feel so overwhelming that we can be tempted to believe that it's just too big for us. That, that maybe this is just one of those things God needs to take care of. So we need to hear God's words to the Israelites to, to get moving. But we also need that first story because the struggle is hard to face on our own. We need to remember that God stands in solidarity and power with all who are oppressed and all who are walking out of bondage. We are not alone. God works through us. When we raise our voices or wield our influence or sit down and protest, we are not doing that alone. We do that as a community together, a community of faith that follows a God of liberation, a God who was with Moses as he raised his hand and split that sea, and the God who remains by our side today. Amen.